the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. 505 on your Tuesday, and welcome to another edition of Lifeline. Trust you're having a good day, and uh, we're going to get you home nice and safe tonight, and hopefully along the way, inform you, challenge you, entertain you, encourage you, all that good stuff. That's what we're aiming to do today, and we're going to do that um, with a number of great guests that will join us tonight on the program. A little bit later on, Steve Seiler is going to join us. Um, Very important day today. Um, recognition of National Infant Loss Day. And, you know, this is the kind of pain that oftentimes goes unrecognized because children are lost to miscarriage, stillbirth, and and sadly, um, they don't get a lot of the, the traditional sort of societal support that a family would receive if an older child were to pass away, no memorialization, no funeral, nobody passes along condolences, very little, if any, of that. In fact, therein lies the problem, that it still is a real loss for the family and yet an unacknowledged one. So um, there's been a move to recognize these children and um, to help provide some encouragement to these families. So today, October the 15th, National Infant Loss Day, and uh, Steve Siller will join us to talk about that. We'll also talk a bit about yesterday having been Columbus Day. What's going on with the war on history? Best-selling author Jarrett Stepman joins us to talk about the ongoing push to rewrite America's past. That's coming up later on in tonight's program. As we lead off, you've probably taken note a number of egregious bills that have made their way through the California state legislature. And um, as much as I am loath to say that Willie, uh, Willie Brown, wrong bound, Jerry Brown uh, was much by the way of protecting life as governor, there were bills that he vetoed that our new governor has promised he will sign that helps to feed into this growing culture of death. And it's, and it's everything from things like uh, assisted suicide and uh, uh, what not to um, to abortion on demand, and of course, no industry has had a bigger stake in this than that of Planned Parenthood. And sadly, Planned Parenthood's agenda is: let's not talk about the options. Let's just let women believe that the only way that they can deal with an unexpected, unplanned pregnancy is to terminate that pregnancy, hand over a large sum of cash to Planned Parenthood, and all is well. But not so. In fact, what more and more women today are demanding are real options. And joining me now is Valerie Hill. Valerie is the executive director and CEO of Real Options Pregnancy Medical Clinics. And Valerie, thanks for being with us. 
Hi, Greg. Well, it's nice to join you. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Your your organization doing some very critical work and um, filling a space, a gap, um, for women throughout the San Francisco Bay Area that, as uh, both your organization's name and my opening remarks suggest, um, really wants to provide women with the totality of what is available to them. And it seems ironic in 2019 that women would think that the only solution to an unplanned pregnancy was to terminate it. But in fact, that's been kind of the um, the agenda, kind of the uh, the mantra that organizations like Planned Parenthood have drummed into women, not only in this state, but across the country since 1973. Correct. It is very, very sad. We're missing close to, well, we don't know the numbers in California. They're not even mandated to report them, but gosh, it's got to be well over 63 million uh, people we're missing in our culture today uh, in the United States to abortion. And uh, so many people in the body of Christ are walking around damaged from abortion and not having had healing. In fact, 25% of adults have an abortion in their past by the time they're 45 years old. And that's whether it's in your church, in your neighborhood, at your workplace. That's just a consistent and sad statistic. But we at Real Options Obrey Medical Clinics, we have monthly drop-in support groups and we are the local provider for Rachel's Vineyard Retreats, and we've included miscarriage, loss, and pregnancy loss, such as stillbirth, what you were talking about at the top of the show. Um, those are so important. It's so important to recognize and memorialize those lives. And oftentimes, parents, not only those that chose abortion, but those that lost children, not due to anything that they have done, still feel guilt and shame and have depression, and they don't have anyone to talk about it. And uh, many times it's 10, 20, 30 years later that they come for healing. But we have a retreat coming up with plenty of room in it, November 8th through 10th, and they can sign up online. These retreats are a very safe place to work through the healing. It's a Friday night through a Sunday afternoon. It's a very positive and word-filled and Holy Spirit-filled environment. And you can sign up at realoptions.net. You know, and these retreats um, are, are, of course, just one component of the totality of the services offered by um, Real Options. But I'm, I'm glad you made reference to that, because when you share that statistic, a quarter, 25% of Americans by the time they are the age of 45 have been touched by abortion in one way or another, and the kind of impact that both men and women suffer from in a a post-abortive, post-traumatic stress disorder sort of uh, environment that they may not know how to articulate, and yet it's there. Um, And it's interesting, a number of years ago, um, a very dear friend of mine that I went to school with uh, contacted me and said, I know that you've been involved in the pro-life movement. I need to talk to you about something. And so we got together for dinner, and over the course of conversation, he shared with me uh, how he as a man had been struggling with this this post-abortive guilt that he and his uh, previous, now former girlfriend had gotten pregnant 
And um, she went through with having an abortion because she felt she had no options. And after the fact, he felt guilty that he hadn't done more to try and, and support her and stop her from carrying through with the abortion. And so he had been carrying this enormous burden of guilt for years that was impacting everything from his relationships on the horizontal plane to even his relationship with God, simply because there was never any sense of, of being able to find a place where he could go and work through and talk through all of this and to express some real feelings of, of guilt. I mean, he, he he sat and looked at me and said, is there room in heaven for murderers? He felt that he was a murderer because he had done enough in order to, to intervene. Wow. I mean, you think about things like that, Valerie, and the kind of burden that these people carry with them for so many years. Yeah. And there's no need for it. We know Jesus died on the cross for every sin. But many times we cannot forgive ourselves because it was a choice we made, whether we gave in to someone else's pressure or coercion, or we just were facing horrible circumstances. Uh, I'm post-abortive myself. I was a single mom. I shared this once before on your show and um, chose abortion, thought it was uh, the way to be a surviving single mom and a liberated woman back in 1984. And thankfully, someone invited me to church that Easter, and I found uh, forgiveness, but in my head. It didn't really move to my heart until many years later when I became a volunteer at Real Options and helped our then executive director start post-abortion uh, support group Bible studies. And I found that healing and how to forgive myself because we just, we just struggle with that. It's pride. It's pride, but we don't realize it's pride. And these groups and these retreats are for men as well as women. Sometimes many married couples will come together. There's healing in their marriage. There can be healing with the children that they have now because you don't, we don't bond well with our current children or we overbond when we have an abortion in our past. And suicide rates track abortion rates in women. So it's very, very serious to walk around yeah. with this part of your life unhealed. The the tentacles of abortion are uh, so much further reaching than we recognize. I mean, certainly even as we, we struggle to try and wrap our heads around the numbers, you know, 55, 60 million Americans that are not with us because of abortion, and then every other aspect uh, of how lives and families are impacted by this. In addition to providing these annual healing retreats, um, and of course you made reference, Valerie, to the drop-in support groups, um, you also provide health education, risk reduction, and abstinence training for students, um, and of course then the medical clinics for women um, that are in an unplanned pregnancy to get some answers and to learn what the real options are. Of course, all of this, to provide all of these resources, which is all free to, to any woman that comes in seeking advice, seeking some some answers, um, you know, it takes money to run all of that and to, uh, to keep the doors open. With that thought in mind, you've got a special banquet coming up on Saturday, October the 19th, and um, you've got a very special guest speaker, and what a great spot to hold this at, at the Computer History Museum in Mountain View. Tell us more about this. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for mentioning that. We actually have a packed house right now. Uh, we've had to put people on a wait list, but we'll see how it plays out at the Computer History Museum this coming Saturday 
at 5.30, doors open, and Ashley Bractor, the actress who played Abby Johnson in the movie Unplanned, will be our guest speaker. Um, this is a great evening for people to celebrate life and learn more about how to help us advance a culture of life in the Bay Area and beyond. And uh, we do that through uh, compassion, care, and honest uh, services through our medical clinics. But the event, uh, you can go to events at realoptions.net. Um, oh, that's an email. I'm sorry about that. You can email. I'm sorry. Let's get it right. Events at realoptions.net and give your name your phone number, and your email address, and we'll put you on a waiting list. Uh, we're just at capacity right now, but, but, you know, people signed up months ago, and people are busy in the Bay Area, so we'll have cancellations, and we're hoping to fit everyone in the wait list to be able to come and join us and hear Ashley and see our program exhibits that we've got a live ultrasound booth happening uh, during the dinner hour and other exhibits to share about our sexual risk avoidance education in schools, which is optimal health education for youth and parents through our Real Talk program. And this is something that brings in healthy education for healthy relationships versus what I call the California Evil Youth Act. You know that the, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> California Healthy Youth Act is not very healthy for our youth. No, it's certainly and, not, is it? And and well, you know what? Is. What I love about what you guys are doing is that you're offering these services at at multiplicity of levels. Whether it is a young person who just needs to learn about uh, the birds and the bees and to to understand about risk reduction and abstinence and health education, moving through to those that are in an unplanned pregnancy and seeking answers. And to those that are post-abortive by years, by decades in some cases, that are looking for some answers. And it's all available through um, Real Options. And uh, let me just mention, uh, we've had Abby Johnson on the program two or three times. You know her story. Um, Hopefully you've seen the film Unplanned. It's a phenomenal movie. If you can't get in, and again, if you'd like to try to to do so, you can send that email, get on the wait list, um, events at friendsofrealoptions.net. That's events at friendsofrealoptions.net. If you can't get in because uh, sold out, right, Uh, that doesn't mean you can't support the great work of Real Options. And, of course, to do that, um, giving online, nonprofit. So, of course, your gifts are all fully tax deductible when you go online to friendsofrealoptions.net. That's friendsofrealoptions.net. Check them out. Find out more. Get involved. Volunteer if you're able to do that and prayerfully support them as well. Valerie Hill, Executive Director, CEO of Real Options Pregnancy Medical Clinics. We appreciate the time and the update. 519. Let's uh, get caught up on traffic here, shall we? Over at the KFAX Traffic Center with the latest. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I made reference at the top of the hour. We touched on it also in our conversation a moment ago with Valerie Hill about the fact that today is National Infant Loss Day. And important because when a family loses a child through miscarriage or perhaps stillbirth, 
sadly, most of the societal support is just not there. We, we don't memorialize. You'll rarely find an announcement in the newspaper. People will not send flowers. There will be very little active support going on. And yet, for the family that's lost the baby, that child was still real. It might not made it to life to the point of receiving a birth certificate, but that child is still very real, still very wanted, still very loved. And so important that we set aside a day like today to acknowledge all that. Here to tell us more is Steve Seiler. Steve, of course, is founder and creative director and a songwriter. Music for the Soul is a multiple award-winning songwriter. And Steve, great to have you back with us. Thank you so much for having me today, Craig. Uh, this date, um, as we recognize National Infant Loss Day, and, and you have been involved in not only supporting this, um, but also in the production of a new song um, that you have helped to, uh, to write along with uh, uh, Tony Wood. Um, tell us a bit about how you got involved in this project and why it's close to your heart. Well, I actually got involved in a woman walked up to me at a booth at a conference, and she was looking at a grief project that uh, our ministry had done, and she just began opening up and telling me about her miscarriages, and she had two, and, and she began to cry right there in this very public place, and I was very drawn into her story and very moved, and when she walked away, I, I couldn't keep just standing at the booth and selling resources and talking to people. I actually turned my back on everybody, sat down, and right then and there wrote a song called Before We Said Hello, uh, based on what she'd shared. Um, and, and what you just said in the open is, is just so, so true. This is sort of an invisible grief in the sense that the community doesn't tend to mourn it, uh, sometimes they even diminish it by saying things like, oh, you know, you can always have another one, you know, well-meaning but very hurtful and misinformed comments. So the people who've lost this child, for whom, as you said, the child is very real, uh, really don't have the support that we tend to think of when we're grieving. We don't. And, you know, sometimes I think people out of a, a misguided sense of wanting to bring a, a word of encouragement will say things that ultimately make things Worse, not better, like, well, God must have needed another little angel in heaven and things of this sort. There's no foundation in, 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 in biblical theology by, by any stretch of the imagination. And in an effort to try to be um, encouraging or comforting, sometimes winds up becoming more hurtful. Um, in, in your experience, um, Steve, the, the opportunity here to acknowledge this loss. Is that very meaningful in your your viewpoint for parents who have gone through the loss of a child? Just the fact that now a day is being set aside to give a sense of acknowledgement and recognition? I think that's really important. And I, I think that the mistake that we all tend to make in situations like this is that we don't want to bring it up because we think it's going to hurt the person's feelings or remind them of their loss as if they ever could have forgotten this is, a, this is a wound that, that people are carrying with them. You know, when we lose a loved one, uh, the, the therapists tell me it takes 16 months to go through the stages of grief one time. Well, even if that grief may, may not be uh, seen by the public in terms of, of a life that, you know, walked on the earth, that 16-month that period is still real for those people. And so, it, it, you know, 
there's there's nothing wrong with saying I'm so sorry for your loss or for if they named the baby. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I, I know that you feel so sad about losing Jonathan or, or whoever the baby's name happens to be. That acknowledgement helps make make it real for the person. And, you know, anytime we carry something in secret, Craig, you know that, that that's more hurtful. And when we bring something out into the light and can share it with loved ones, it just makes it easier to carry that burden. Your organization, musicforthesoul.org, has been involved in uh, the production of um, a new and very special project, Heaven's Playground. And in a moment, we're going to listen to uh, this song sung by Becky Nordquist. Tell us how did this, uh, you, you, you made reference to that encounter there at the music festival. Uh, how many years in the making was this eventually to come to fruition? Well, it actually happened pretty quickly. I had another project in mind for us next, but God has a way of interrupting my plans and saying, no, we're going over here. He does that often. So That's I, good. That's good. Yes, he does. He's good at that. Yeah, after I wrote the song, seven months later, I was playing a home concert uh, in, in Michigan, and Becky was invited to the concert by a friend, and afterwards we were, we were talking, and I... She shared about her miscarriages, and I said, oh, well, I just recently wrote a song, and, and her friend said, oh, Becky's a great singer. You know, one thing led to another. Uh, she sent me some of her samples of her singing. I thought, oh, my gosh, she's amazing. And the next thing you knew, she, I know she was in Nashville recording before we said hello. While we were doing that, she said, you know, Steve, I've had this idea for a song about heaven's playground because i picture my son nicholas who's stillborn up in heaven playing with jesus and he's joyful and there's no more sorrow and so we got together with tony wood and heaven's playground came in one evening wow her sharing her story and us writing the song it was miraculous that's uh, that's pretty remarkable because you know normally this this is you know a long time to kind of incubate and and sometimes it's years to go from concept to uh, to making it out so uh, truly god was involved in all of this you can get information about the song by the way and and this project, Heaven's Playground, online at musicforthesoul.org. That's musicforthesoul.org. And uh, let's give a listen. We've got a Heaven's Playground sung by Becky Nordquist as we uh, take you out to the break to give a sample. And uh, Steve Seiler, thanks so much for being with us today. Now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 536, welcome back to the program. We continue on this Tuesday edition of Lifeline. Did you did you take notice of anything different yesterday? I bet. I bet if you ran into the bank. Well, <laughs> they didn't let you in because they were closed. And there was probably a sign on the outside of the bank that said closed in remembrance of Columbus Day. 
And that was probably the most positive aspect of the national holiday yesterday. Sadly, Columbus Day has turned into, um, let's cap on Christopher Columbus and Spanish Colonialism Day. And, And let me put in the disclaimer right up front. I recognize, I readily recognize that there have been aspects of American history to which and of which we are not always necessarily proud of. This country has made mistakes. But let's be quick to acknowledge something else, and that is that we're not the only nation that has made mistakes. And it seems to be open season on America and our history, um, to the exclusion of all others, meaning that We are rapid oftentimes in criticizing so-called American colonialism, and yet we scarcely hear a thing about British or Spanish or Portuguese or Chinese, Russian, Italian, Japanese, French, Scandinavian, Persian, Mayan, or Aztec colonialism. And while their history gets left alone, ours is repeatedly rewritten. Oftentimes, not to correct it and make it more accurate as more information comes forward, but to change the narrative for political purposes. A new book out called The War on History, The Conspiracy to Rewrite America's Past. And joining me now is Jarrett Stepman. Jarrett, by the way, has been involved in writing and reporting for a long, long time. He is currently with The Daily Signal. And Jarrett, thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you very much. So I I seem to be missing something here, uh, Jarrett. I mean, we we went through, as I suggested, the holiday yesterday. Being Italian, traditionally, historically, this was always a day of of great pride for Italian-Americans and the connection with uh, Columbus and discovery of America. Now I recognize, well, there's some reports about Leif Erikson made it here many years before, and Columbus didn't intentionally discover America. He bumped into it by accident. But as I take note of the change in attitude about Columbus Day as a proud Italian-American, I also take note that we seem to use this holiday and a growing number of others, Thanksgiving, for example, that's not that far down the road here, as not a time to reflect back on who we are as a people or as a nation and and uh, some of the good things that we've done, but simply to talk exclusively about the mistakes that we have made to the ignoring of all of the goodness of our nation, and in many respects, to get in there and just just rewrite history so that we can leave our children with not an excuse for being proud to be an American, but rather simply excuses to be embarrassed. What's going on here? Well, uh, yeah, as you said, there is a kind of a, a long-term a growing narrative that American history is not something to be proud of, that not only... Uh, are there unexceptional parts of our history, but there are we are actually uh, exceptionally bad. I mean, I think that's kind of becoming the narrative that's out there, and I think that's deeply unfortunate. I and mean, we're starting with you know an individual like Christopher Columbus, as you said, certainly an imperfect man, is, whose attitudes were not exactly in alignment with our time. This is a man of you know, the 1490s, a man who in many ways came out of a, an era that was deeply medieval and much different from our own. 
but his discovery was, was world-changing. I mean, you could talk about Leif Erikson's and things like this, but the fact of the matter is, is Columbus's voyage with his three small ships, barely 40 feet long, across the Atlantic into the unknown, going for months, I mean, incredible bravery it took, and, of course, uh, opening up a new world and, and radically transforming uh, what the global map would look like and ultimately playing the seeds for our existence as a country. I mean, to a, to a certain extent, a celebration of Columbus for all Americans is a celebration of our own existence. And, and I think sometimes there are some, uh, especially some radicals, who ultimately think that you know, maybe that wasn't a good thing after all. Maybe America itself... Uh, needs to be put on trial, and there America itself is ultimately based on on bad, unseemly things and nothing else, and it's not based also on very, very good things, things that have led to incredible prosperity and, and human flourishing and, and where we are today. Well, and one thing that I'm always um, uh, remiss to to uh, remind people of, and I, and I need to do a better job at it, and that is that, you know, as I suggested in my opening remarks, Jared, we've made some mistakes, to be sure. There are periods of time in which decisions were made or beliefs were held that were not necessarily kind or um, fair or certainly biblical. Uh, but it was what it was for the time, and I, I don't necessarily have a problem with the notion of America uh, or Americans at certain levels in certain ways to repent, repudiate, or even repair damage that's been done if we are, are able to do so. But let's be mindful of something, that if it wasn't for the United States in 1945, um, the totality of Europe, to be sure— and major portions of Asia would have fallen to totalitarian states and peoples in those parts of the world, arguably two-thirds of the population of the world, at least at that time, would be living under totalitarian, despotic dictatorships to this day if it were not for the United States of America. I, I'd even go further than that. I would say it's quite possible, you know, most of the world, most of the globe will be, will be in a, what I would say would be a new dark age uh, as a result of those totalitarian ideologies. I mean, what, what exactly would have, uh, what, what would have stopped them, ultimately? I mean, if it wasn't going to be the United States, would it have been the Soviet Union replacing one tyranny for another tyranny? Uh, that's, that's not, that's not going to do it. And I think, you know, certainly I, what I lay out in my book, uh, The War on History, is an explanation of of how the United States became that kind of symbol of, uh, of liberty and, and uh, this great, powerful nation, uh, certainly over a series of steps over time, a lot of great patriots, a lot of great ideas that ultimately allowed the United States to start from uh, really almost nothing or, you know, basically 13 colonies very scattered and rural at the edge of civilization uh, to this great and powerful nation that, that stood at the heart uh, of, uh, frankly, the, the hope of, of mankind for uh, certainly in, 19, in the 1940s and, and after during the, during the Cold War, uh, that took a buildup. And that took, a, uh, that took uh, great ideas in a country that didn't just, uh, you know, simply, uh, you know, come from nothing because it was, it was bad. It was based on things that were ultimately good, that ultimately made it strong, that ultimately made it uh, triumph. And I think that's what something that, that needs to be remembered, needs to be uh, not forgotten. I think those who today are, are, are trying to attack or undermine America and say that we have done wrong things, which is to be sure, I think they miss those exceptional things that have made America 
ultimately what it is, a great country. Well, and ironically, um, so much of the criticism tends to come from within. And while to be sure that not every nation, uh, you know, uh, necessarily holds us in highest esteem, the overall general opinion, however, um, of American exceptionalism, another notion that's kind of disappeared, is that most people of most nations look to us with a sense of, of envy. Uh, they envy our way of democracy. They envy our freedoms. They envy our capitalistic system and way it, it encourages uh, innovation and invention. Uh, think of how radically different the world would be right now if it were not for the involvement in the invention of so many devices that have changed our lives, including the vehicle that you're riding in at this moment, the radio that you are listening to, the cell phone screen that you're looking down at, all of this uh, would likely not have been possible were it not for America. But most importantly, um, the freedom of the environment in which it was serving as an incubator for all of us. I like the quote from, uh, I think it was Winston Churchill, in talking about America's role in the bringing about of democracy uh, to to the world, um, in saying that democracy was the second worst form of government, all others being first. I think uh, a, a bit of a, a sideways tip to the hat to uh, our mistakes or our shortcomings, to be sure, but ultimately acknowledging that, guess what? To most of the world, we still remain the envy, and for those that don't envy us, Largely, it's because they don't know much about us. Would you agree with that? I do, I do agree with that, and it's it's for for the United States. It's about more than simply our great intentions, our incredible prosperity. Of course, the United States is an incredible economy. I think one of the wonders of the world. Uh, but what's really important about America is that we're a country that's based on liberty. We're based on limiting the power of government to uh, get, do away with things like tyranny and authoritarianism that unfortunately have plagued mankind through almost all of human history. I think the United States system has unlocked that, has ultimately made it so we don't have to be under the thumb of tyrants. Uh, and I think that's incredibly important. I think that's playing out today, I think, very dramatically. Of course, we're seeing this kind of a battle between uh, China and Hong Kong, and, and I think that's a, a dramatic show of, of, of the people in Hong Kong who are trying to fight for, I think, very little uh, democracy who are waving American flags there. And I think that there's a reason that is. It's because ultimately people, especially those who are so close to being under the thumb of tyranny, know how much the American system, at the very end of the day, uh, stands against that. And it's ultimately their, their beacon of hope. And I think maybe maybe now, especially as we do have rival powers in the world, especially like communist China, which doesn't have the same ideas of individual rights of citizens or certainly anything like limited government or democracy, maybe that will come in sharper contrast. More Americans and, and people throughout the globe will come to appreciate more uh, what the United States is built on, that we are a benign power and a great one. Well, and, and to that, I would add, for a person who, uh, you know, a h hardcore is, is self-hating, self-loathing, and uh, has nothing but negativity to speak of when it comes to addressing the, the, the state of their own nation, um, come with me to North Korea. Let's hang out for a few years in North Korea and then come back and tell me about how bad America is. We're going to take a time out. Joining me is Jarrett Stepman, a look at the war on history, the conspiracy to rewrite America's past. A time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. All right, just about 13 away from the top of the hour. Let's get you updated once again on traffic from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
All right, welcome back to the conversation. Our visit today with Jarrett Stepman and his new book is called The War on History, The Conspiracy to Rewrite America's Past. I should mention, by the way, newly published by Regnery Press, same folks that own this very fine radio station, and you can find the book available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as through Amazon.com. Uh, Jarrett, I'm curious, in, in the book as well as when you talk about this this subject matter, for those that have a sensitivity to the fact that there has been this concerted effort to rewrite history and um, to paint America in a very bad light. Um, well, what's the approach here in terms of addressing this? Certainly setting the record straight and talking about the, the, the true and wonderful things that the nation has done is important. But is it also important to compare and contrast? I mean, I, in my opening remarks, I talked about the fact that oftentimes one of the big um, sort of black eyes on America is, well, we're very colonialistic. We've taken over the Hawaiian Islands and, and Guam and uh, uh, Puerto Rico, and they go through all that big list. And, uh, and yet the list of other countries that have had quote-unquote colonialistic desires or have succeeded at it is a pretty significant one and a pretty brutal one. So do we have to be truth-tellers both in terms of our own history as well as the history of others? Yeah, I, I think that's essential. I think a lot of times these things, especially in criticism of the United States, the context of larger history is missing. I mean, all these things you know, sometimes in isolation, they look like they stick out as terrible. But then when you examine the the long train of history, uh, what's, I think, exceptional is the, the, the moments where there was something good. There was something uh, that led to greater liberty or greater prosperity. I think those have been the outliers in history and certainly something uh, that I lay out in my book very much. And I think it's important, too, uh, to show, look, American history certainly isn't perfect, and I don't think it should ever be seen that way. I think maybe there's too much of that mentality that it has to be perfect, that we have to comb through the past, find its imperfections, and if we find them, uh, we simply have to erase it. I think you get that today in the so-called cancel culture or something like that. I mean, I think that's that's very much replying those rules. The past, the past simply won't abide by those rules. I mean, the, the, the different times that people lived in, there were many different debates that were happening. People were flawed. They were imperfect. That doesn't mean they couldn't do great things that we can still recognize today as leading to what we have that we consider very good. And I, that's what I try to convey in my book. I try to explain uh, what American history is about and what the good things that we have accomplished in the context of the bad things, too. And I think that ultimately I, I make the case that we, we do have a lot to be proud of. We do have a lot to celebrate. Uh, we shouldn't let the, that be stripped away by those who want to tear down statues or erase America's past, or erase the past. Because you know we're not going to get a bold and you know utopian future if we simply you know don't know what happened in the past. I think there's some who have that attitude that we're going to create uh, you know fundamentally transform America into something that's perfect. And I, and I don't think that's ever going to happen. We should know that because we study history, we study the truth, we study how other people dealt. Uh, with difficulties of their own time and face those things. And I hope that we'll, by having that knowledge, we'll be able to face the challenges in our own time. And I always find it interesting uh, to to sort of um, uh, uncover the real political agenda 
behind much of this when people come on strong in the criticism of American history and how we came and we stole this land from uh, the Native Americans, and unless you're a Native American, you have no right to be here. And yet seldom, if ever, do you hear those same critics suggest that now we get up a fund so that we can all buy boat tickets to go back to wherever our ancestors, perhaps centuries ago, originally came from. Uh, Nor do we suggest just shutting down the entire country because it's of no good and no purpose to anybody. So it seems as if a big part of this tends to really be driven by a sense of of self-loathing and self-hatred. I'm not sure where that comes from because I was instilled with a sense of pride having grandfathers that fought in World War II, were career Navy men. My father was a, a Marine that helped to uh, to liberate um, South, uh, South Korea during the Korean War. So I always had a sense of pride in my country, acknowledgement of the mistakes that have been made. But I have to wonder, is it is it ultimately political agenda that drives so much of this effort towards uh, revisionism of America? American history? It is. And I think it's the difference between trying to build this idea of a grievance versus thankfulness. I mean, one can say that, you know, there have been bad things that happened for us and those in the past, and, you know, maybe people like us in the past in America's history. Uh, but, you know, and ultimately, I think we should be thankful of the good things that, that have been brought to us, that have come down to us, that the liberty we have, the Constitution of the United States, the, the fact the United States was born with a, a Declaration of Independence that says that all men are created equal, they're endowed with unalienable rights, things that we, we know as Americans, we think are true and they're good, and that they've been built upon by generations of patriots who carried on that, that tradition. I think that... You know, this idea that we need to have a, a grievance for this or that, I think will ultimately uh, tear this country apart. I mean, for those who, you know, they always say that you know, they're about increased inclusiveness, and I, I really don't see that. But instead, they're trying to wash away those in America's past instead of uh, building uh, new heroes, building new traditions on, uh, in, on top of the ones that we've had in the past. I think a healthy and a strong republic does that, and I think that's why it's so important. Uh, to fight this fight and, and to stand up and, and have pride in our country's history and try to build off of the critical ideas and, and, and the, the culture that has ultimately made it as good as it is so that it can be better in the future. Yeah, and, and that's the real key here, and, and that is not to rewrite it, but to acknowledge the mistakes, but at the same token to acknowledge the good of what we've done, hopefully with the spirit towards both leading us to become a better nation. Jared Stepman, the author of a new book, The War on History, The Conspiracy to Rewrite America's Past, newly released by Regnery Gateway. You'll find it at Bay Area bookstores as well as through Amazon.com. And, of course, you can follow Jared's work and writing online at DailySignal.com. Jarrett Stepman. Jarrett, thanks so much for the time. Six o'clock from KFAX. Let's get you updated on traffic right now and just ahead of some headline news. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.